in the Australian outback, uh, what people have done there uh, is some of them own so much land, the thought of building a fence around their land isn't even feasible. It's not something they can do. I mean, here in the States, for even some of you who grew up on land or still own land, if you own a few acres, maybe even over 100 acres, when it comes to keeping your livestock and animals in, you build fences. We build barbed wire fences to keep them in and keep other things out. But in the Australian outback, sometimes people own so much land, the thought of building a fence around their land is not even, it's not even feasible. They can't even think about it. So what they do on the, in the Australian outback is they build to keep their livestock in the same places, they build a pond, or in Texas, in some places, we call it a tank, where you dig in the ground and there's a water source. And what they have found is that their livestock know that they cannot stray too far from their source of water and their source of life, so it keeps everything close. And I want you to use that today to think about who you are with God and your connection to God. And as you gauge your life right now with God, I want you to use that as something that you can think about. How far is your distance from the center right now? Because if the center is what is needed to keep you in the source of life and connected to the source of life, what are the things distracting you in your life from staying and abiding and remaining in the center? Because too often what we do as Christians and in the church, especially in the Western world, is we ask this, do you have a conversion story? And if you have a conversion story, sometimes our thought is, well, at least I'm okay. But early Christians never thought in the kind of way of, do I have a conversion story when I surrendered my life to Jesus and I was baptized, and is that enough? For early Christians, that was never the way they thought about God or the way they thought about what Jesus had done for them. They knew that a conversion was to usher you in to a whole new story, a whole new kind of life. So sometimes the question we've asked in the past is, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Which isn't a bad question. For some of you, God used that question to create a stirring in your life, to take seriously some decisions in your life that you need to make with God. But I think there are other questions that are just as good, if not better. Questions like, if you could live for eternity, what kind of person would you want to be? If God grants you the ability and, the, and God is willing to let you live five or 30 more years, what do you want to be known for? What are the character traits and the gifts in your life that you want to come to life to, that, that can bless the world? Because I think the fact that you were in this room today, singing the songs, taking communion in this room, that there's a desire in your life, even if it's a small desire, to live a life that is connected to Jesus. And sometimes being connected to Jesus is based on us moving closer to God, trusting deeply and moving closer and sometimes, and I think we all could testify to, us, to, to this, that it's not just us moving closer to God, it's that God has often taken the initiative to move closer to us to create this connection. And sometimes God does this in unexpected ways. I have a friend, Jeff, uh, Jeff Walling. Some of you have heard Jeff at Winterfest and other events. Jeff posted, he was in an Uber ride this past week, and he posted this online, if you have this picture. This was what arrived on his phone for his Uber ride, that Jesus is arriving soon in a Toyota Prius. And after arriving, they will wait two minutes before charges begin for their time. And there's so many things about that that are hilarious to me. I mean, one, that Jesus would drive a Toyota Prius. I think we all know Jesus would drive a Ford Ranger pickup truck if he was here today, all right? 
uh, what would really drive me nuts and would, and would play tricks on my heart and mind is, is if this ever arrived for me, like Jesus is arriving in your Uber car, if it was yesterday at 6.66 p.m. for some weird reason, like that's when you cancel your ride. Uh, Jesus meets us in a lot of different unexpected ways. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 15. Here are 11 verses I'm going to read and then use a couple of different illustrations to help this come to life as you pause and reflect and gauge. We're in a four-week series right now that I've called Pulse, just trying to gauge your spiritual health, your life with God. Because often we gauge things, we gauge our cars, we gauge how much gas we have, how the oil is. Most of you, if you've ever had a job, at some point your work performance is, there's some way to gauge it. There are annual reviews. There are marks you have to hit. There are things you do. So your work is gauged. There are things we gauge about almost everything in life. But what do you have in your life that gauges like how you're doing with God? Uh, a few weeks ago, my family, we had just left Carlsbad Caverns. And we left late one night, and we were going to drive to El Paso. When we left Carlsbad Caverns, we're in our van, and the gas stations coming out of Carlsbad were already closed. So I was like, no problem. I have half a tank. I can make it to El Paso. Between here and there, there are going to be places where I can stop. I drove 30 miles, and there was a sign that said, next gas station in El Paso. <laughs> I began to freak out. What am I going to do? And then I began to think, I mean... And, and I even began to pray. Like, I don't pray a lot of these prayers. Like, God, if you could multiply fish, could you just put a little more gas in my tank? Or give my wife the strength to walk wherever she needs to walk as I <laughs> stay back with the boys to make sure everything's okay in the van, you know? But we gauge almost everything else in life. But how do we gauge how we're doing with God? And I want to lay this in front of you as a promise. And, I, and I'm often like resistant to make these kind of promises. But if John 15, 1 through 11 is the only thing you read in the Bible for the next week or two weeks of your life, and you commit to reading this multiple times a day, I'm not going to promise that God's going to make your life happier or that all your anxiety and fears are going to go away. But I do want to promise that clarity about connection will come into your life. And here's how it goes. John 15. 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And if you make notes in your Bible, I want you to highlight how many times Jesus says something about his character, about like who he is and who you are, and also how many times the word abide, or in some of your versions, the word remain, how many times it shows up. I'm the true vine, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, a couple of things. 
Jesus is referencing something that everyone in his audience would have known about. Vines and branches and trees and the way those things work. And he's also referencing something that comes up throughout the Old Testament multiple times. Now here's the thing. In the Old Testament, when the people of God, the Israelites, when the people who are following God, when they are referred to as vine or vineyards, in nearly, I think, every case, if not almost all of them, it's in the context of being under God's judgment because the people are not producing fruit. So you see this in the Old Testament, it's that fruit's not coming, and it's not that in the Old Testament it's calling out an individual for, not, for fruit not coming from their life. It's that God is calling out an entire community that you are functioning in a way where your allegiances are being poured into something that's not producing fruit that matters for the kingdom. You're placing your allegiance in military strength and military might and in wealth and power and not in the heart of God so that great fruit can come from you. Jesus is using an illustration here that would have made sense in almost everyone's life. And for us, whenever Jesus uses illustrations like this, like we have to wrestle with them, be thoughtful and careful of what do we take literal about it and what's more figurative and what's Jesus trying to say. Because I don't think Jesus is saying here that if you go one day in your life or even a season in your life where fruit's not coming from you, you are cut off from God forever. But there is some powerful truth here that Jesus is speaking. Uh, I grew up in Dallas. I grew up in a youth group in Dallas. And uh, we participated in work camp every summer like what you do here in Memphis. Thanks. Thank you very much. Oh, (laughs) if you don't mind helping me out. Uh, and, and one day, I was, uh, when I became an intern, I was working at a church in Dallas. And one day, we were serving this lady's house. And the front yard of her house was a huge tree, a massive tree. You couldn't even see the front yard of her house because the limbs were hanging down in this yard to where you couldn't see anything. It wasn't a pine tree. It wasn't an artificial Christmas tree. This was not what Jesus was referring to, but I'm going to use it as an illustration in a moment. So we asked this woman, we said, man, because we were there serving and painting this woman's house, watching rats and raccoons come in and out of this tree in her front yard. We said, ma'am, she was in her mid-90s. Do you want us to help you? We can get rid of some of these limbs. We don't have to get rid of the tree, but we can help get rid of these limbs to take care of some of the rodents. And she was like, oh, that would mean so much to me. Please do it. So we went and we got a saw. We started cutting off these huge, massive limbs. Few of it, it took a few of us to have to drag these out to the street. And then this woman came running, or the best she could run, coming out of her house, yelling and screaming, telling us to stop. And maybe she forgot what she had just asked us to do, but she didn't like what we were doing. So she began to ask us to put the limbs back on the tree. (laughs) To the point where she said, can you go down to Super Walmart? And I'm not exaggerating this story at all. She wanted us to find duct tape or use super glue. But we're talking about limbs that were massive. And I don't know a lot about trees. I do know that it's possible for you to uproot a tree and put it in the back of a truck and take it to another place and bury it in the ground and it can still live. But I also know that you can't chop off a limb and saw it off that's, that's that big and then somehow super glue or duct tape it back on and it's going to live. It doesn't work that way. And here Jesus uses and he talks about the vine and the branches. And I think we know if a branch is removed, it's going to be hard for it to grow. Now, when Jesus tells this story, he's very specific. I'm the vine, you were the branches. 
All right, so for all of us, once a branch, always a branch. That you never graduate to a vine where other people, your children, your spouses, other people who work for you, you never become a vine where other people are connected to you as, as their source of life. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. Now here's what's also true in Christianity, is that God doesn't do assembly line connection to the heart of God. Meaning this, that you don't have a branch that's connected to the vine, and then try to get someone else who's a branch to connect to your branch, and then another branch is connected to that, and then hoping that the electrical current of the Spirit of God or some kind of wave will go through the person who's connected to the vine, and then to someone else, and then other people will receive blessings from that. So what I mean is this. It's possible for us and for the church today to, to live a life that's connected to the vine and to want fruit to come from us to the world and for the world. So we want to serve the world. We want to get out and do things for Jesus. And we want to serve and be about justice and care for people and, and serve those in need without ever having a passion to connect the people we serve to the source of life. So we can stay connected Wanting other people to bear fruit without having this overwhelming burden to help them connect to the source. Is this making sense at all? And the way, sometimes the way this works, especially in Memphis, I have found, and in conversations I've had with others, evangelism in the South can be hard because almost everybody has a church experience they can go back to, and it can, it can be difficult. So sometimes what happens is you have someone who, who needs a job, somebody who needs a bill to be paid. And what they think is, I have a grandparent who I know who's connected to a church, who knows a pastor who seems to have a connection to Jesus. So let me share with my grandparent the need in my life to put me on a prayer list for people who are connected to the source of life. And then maybe a blessing from God will come into my life instead of people thinking in my life, I need to surrender to the source of life so I can connect to the vine. Sometimes what can happen is you can, you can be in a place of deep stress in your life and maybe you've dabbled in faith a little bit and what you think is, I know someone in my workplace and I think they listen to K-Love and they read Beth Moore over lunch so they seem to be connected to the source. So let me ask them to pray for me and maybe they'll pray for me because they're connected and maybe a blessing of God will flow into my life or will land on the ground and splash on me instead of having this desire to want to be connected themselves. Am I making sense at all? Um, so our leaders just made a commitment to you today. What our elders said is, we want to be proactive with the way we care for you. Uh, this was an idea I had about a year ago of how can the leaders of this church be more proactive because our leaders, our elders are some, some amazing men and I have seen them time and time again have people come to them with a crisis or a need in their life and they attack it. I've seen them go to homes at really all hours of the day to lay hands on people and to pray. And their commitment to you is we don't just want to be about crisis pastoral care where we wait until we hear something going on in your life. We want to be proactive and help get out in front. And the way leaders functions, not from a place of connection, only wanting to bless other people and that you are connected to God through them, but our leaders want to function in a way where they are keeping people connected to the source of life. The challenge becomes in our lives 
when whether we like it or not, some of us are control freaks, and sometimes what we want is other people depend on us and not on God. God's had to, he's had to, he's had to get after me a few times just in my marriage. I've been married now over 17 years. I love my wife more than anything else in the world. And there have been seasons where I want my wife to have everything that she needs. I, I want to help provide every need she has, happiness, joy, purpose. I want to provide her with needs. I want to provide protection, security, and everything. And God's had to check me a few times in my life by saying that there are certain things you want for your wife that you will never be able to fulfill. There are things only Jesus can fulfill. That if you and Casey want to thrive in a kind of marriage God wants for you, it's not about you fulfilling each other's needs. It's about both of you reminding each other every day that your source of life is in Jesus. It's not you trying to complete each other. It's you continually pointing each other to the source of life, the vine, who is the, the source. He holds everything together. We're trying to parent true to know it in this kind of way as we talk to them about faith. Throughout their childhood, a lot of what they understand about faith in Jesus is through Casey and me. But we want them to know that ultimately what we want for you is not for you to connect through Jesus through us. But for you to connect to Jesus yourself in your own life. So that if we are ever removed from the picture, there is this connection that comes from a deep place with Jesus. We are connected to the vine, and, and this is a process. As we serve the world, as we care for people, as we want fruit to come from our lives, what we want is to take hold of the hand of other people and understand this may not happen overnight. It may not happen in a week. It may be a slow, inch-by-inch inch step, but ultimately what we desire is to take hold of people and connect them to Jesus. You've probably seen people form human chains before that someone's drowning so someone's on the shore and maybe they wrap themselves or there's a rope holding them to a truck or to a tree or something firm. And then there's a human chain that will go out into the water to take hold of someone. And when they do, it's not, they don't go out there and then hand them a sandwich and wish them good luck in the water. It's that we are taking hold of them to bring them to a place of security and protection and hope. What Jesus is offering these people in John chapter 15 is this is within just a few days before Jesus is going to die. So these are some of the last words Jesus is offering up. And what he's offering up to them is, I do not want you latching on to the past events or the miracles as great as those were. I want you to remain connected to the vine even when it's hard. And if you care about connection... And living connected to God and being connected to God and seeing that the ultimate purpose of the church is to help connect people to God. Then, then we have to take seriously like where, where's the starting place? How do I live and how do I begin living from this place of deep connection? On my sabbatical, a prayer I offered up to God almost every day was, God, I need you to revive my heart, refresh me, bring me to life, remind me of the things that matter most to me. And God took hold of a passion that's been in my life for years, but just reminded me of this over and over and over again. He said, Josh, you exist to help connect people to God. That's the purpose of your life. It's the purpose of the church. We function to connect people to God. Um, so let's talk about a starting place real quick. Uh, when I was younger, um, I participated in track and field some in middle school. I pole vaulted. I was a high jumper. 
uh, in, in high school, I, um, I made a commitment to do 300 hurdles that lasted for like three practices because <laughs> nobody should have to run that far and jump over things. <laughs> like, I think when I finally crawled under the last hurdle or went around it, the coaches were like, I think we need to find something else for you. Um, but most of us have been on playgrounds before, especially as kids when we race other people. And we're challenged to races and we race. And usually when we do, we're getting up to an imaginary line and somebody says, you know, on your mark, get set, smoke a cigarette. And then you take off and you have to come back and, and things like that. Um, there was never a moment, but if it would have happened like in first or second grade that some kid was like, before I race, I need to go get my starting blocks. I would have invested in that kid, right? Uh, but there, there, are, there are people who are competitive runners today whose top end speed is faster than anybody else, but who they don't win the race because they don't learn to start correctly. Right? So for Seth King, who was the coach of the year, the track coach of the year, I'm sure he spends a lot of time with his runners, especially sprinters, talking to them about how they start races. <clears throat> and I hope that my preaching in my life sometimes stirs curiosity in people who are currently are not connected to Jesus. And it stirs curiosity in them where they begin to flirt with Jesus and they begin to dabble in faith and what this means for them. But at some point, I have got to invite them into the story of Jesus. Because I, I think it's possible today for us to even talk about Jesus in a way where we make people think that, hey, you can flirt with Jesus and you can dabble in faith. And then whenever you want to run the, run the race, just jump in on mile nine of the marathon and just go for it without ever calling them to start the race the way Jesus asked people to start the race. Which is complete trust and surrender. For Jesus to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's why we practice immersion in the life of this church, where we go all the way under, that everything I have is going under. And in that, baptism is not the end of the race where you feel like, hey, I have arrived, but baptism is the starting block. It's the launching pad of living a life that is deeply connected to the source and the vine. In fact, I put this on the screen. If you take notes, I want you to see this. The ultimate goal, and this is coming from me, all right? The ultimate goal of connecting to God isn't your happiness, but it is fruit that both blesses your life and blesses the world. And in John 15, verse 8, John says it like this. Jesus says it like this. This is to my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, let me show you something real quick in, in verse 2. Because this is where a lot of people think about this. And what are the consequences of this if I'm not bearing fruit in my life? And, and in chapter 15, verse 2, it's he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, you can't see this in, your, in the English version. But in the Greek, Jesus is actually playing off two words. They come from the same word. So he's playing off the word are and kathare. So he's talking to people who some of them in their everyday life perform one or two of these, same, of these functions. If not every day of their life, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Let me just go through these two words, just a few things. Are means to take away or to remove. Kathare is to cleanse or clear. Are is the removal of dead branches. 
So this is what happens when you're out and, and you're about to make some s'mores and you just run around and grab branches that have fallen from the ground and make a pile out of them. Kothare is the removal of unwanted shoots. So it's things that are on the branch that need to be cut off and removed. Alray clears away. Kothare clears clean. Alray is about cutting off. Kothare is about cutting clean. Jesus is using two words to help people understand a significant point. He's playing these two words together. Because ultimately what Jesus wants for people is to function with the vine so that fruit comes from your life. When I am fruitless... When you are fruitless, it is not a matter of you trying harder, but connecting better. Connecting to the vine and see what fruit can come. And knowing that if you want to make a difference in the world, making a difference in the world only comes from being connected to the vine. I talked to a friend the other day who uh, preaches at a church in Ontario, Canada. And he was telling me about how that church is trying to love their neighborhood in a way that the church hasn't in the past. They're investing in their neighborhood, praying big prayers, trying to care for people. And, and as they do, as they've been doing this, they've made some connections in that community. And they saw the head drug dealer in the neighborhood where their church exists and lives. The head drug dealer just came to Christ a couple of weeks ago. And this man came out of the waters of baptism and the commitment he has made to the church and now he's living in that community as he said, for years, I am the one responsible for the decline of this neighborhood and the destruction of so many lives, but now God is gonna use me to help repair the very things that I have broken. That God's brought this guy to life and has given him a vision of now how he exists to help repair what's broken. A friend really close to me had a battle with anxiety just over a year ago that lasted for weeks and he couldn't understand why. And I've heard his testimony multiple times and heard it again last night. And, and my friend who was just in this fight through anxiety, he said that one day he was in this time of prayer. And as he was praying, it was like the Lord gave him this vision. And in the vision... What he saw was he and Jesus were surrounded in this garbage dump with just, it was garbage and, and it was just piled up and he could see the back of Jesus and he felt this disconnect. And he said he began in his prayer just crying out for Jesus to turn to him and for Jesus to reach out. And he said in his prayer, Jesus turned and Jesus reached out his hands and when he did, Jesus snapped. And when Jesus snapped, he said in his vision, all the garbage just went up in flames. So there were flames and things were burning all around him. But as things were burning, the hand of Jesus reached out and connected to him. And what he said was in that moment, I had more peace connected to Jesus, surrounded by garbage that was burning, than I did when I was surrounded by garbage and could only see the back of Jesus. And it's possible that no matter what we go through, even as the flames of life are burning, that from this connection of Jesus comes the peace that can only come from him. When Jesus looks at you, he sees someone who is worth tending to and worth nurturing and worth growing and worth using for his kingdom. Jesus would never deny 
a desire from someone's heart to connect with God. It's not something God's going to run from or or God's not going to try to honor. Now, God may say, if you want to connect with me, there are some things you need to let go of in your life so that we can connect. But anyone who has a heart and a desire to connect deeply to Jesus, he's going to honor it in some kind of way. I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders, if you will, go throughout the room to receive people for prayer this morning. And we have a song about it's a need for God that we're going to sing as a cry and as a prayer. Before we sing this song, I want to ask you to stand where you are and we're going to pray. With eyes closed, heads bowed, if you want to open your hands in the presence of God, just to receive from the Lord, please do. And God, my prayer again this morning is that if I've said anything that doesn't honor your heart, your nature, your character, your mission, may it fall to the ground, be trampled, and not be remembered at all. But if I've spoken anything that is true, may it sink deep into hearts, transform people, and bear great fruit this week. May the people in this room need to hear how loved they are by you and that you never waste a salvation. You want to use everything you save. Speak that truth into people. And in this room, God, use this church to bear great fruit this week that will help connect people to the ultimate source of life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.